Hey everyone, welcome to Locked on Lakers for Wednesday. Brian Kamenetsky, Andy Kamenetsky. The NBA draft is tomorrow. Who are the Lakers going to take in the first round? Who should they take? That's next. You are Locked on Lakers. Your daily Los Angeles Lakers podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day. Thanks to everybody for making Lockdown Lakers your first listen of every day, Monday through Friday, no matter how or where you get your podcast. It's always going to be free. It's never going to be behind a paywall. Lockdown Lakers on YouTube is where you can go to hang out with over 17,000 subscribers to the channel, all of whom, Andy, are geeked up for the NBA draft Thursday. That's tomorrow. The Lakers actually have a first round pick that they might actually use. They have a second round pick. Um, they're they're known for like this is actually a draft day that Lakers fans can get excited about rather than just sitting on the sidelines peering through the window to uh, help us get ready for it. We have one of the great heavy hitters in draft prep, Mike Garcia. You know him as uh, Canyon Driver on Twitter. He is the author of the Lakers draft scouting uh, Substack, which is something that everybody needs to be reading. Everybody needs to be following him. Um combines great draft knowledge with great Lakers knowledge, which makes him a perfect guest for today. Mike, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, thank you guys for having me. So um, plenty of stuff that we want to get to in terms of, of breaking down this draft, looking at different players, looking at different picks, um, you know, what, what, you know, keep or trade best available versus, you know, need all of this kind of stuff. Um, but I wanted to start with just asking you like, what kind of draft is this? Like if the Lakers want to, you know, stay at 17 and use the pick, if they want to, um, you know, trade back, like how, what kind of players are available to, is it going to be the kind of uh, depth that promotes a lot of movement? What, what are you looking at for Thursday's draft broadly? The upcoming draft, there are a lot of wings and a lot of guards. Uh, typically, I rank the draft in terms of first-round prospects, and you might usually find 20 to 25 players per year. And this year, it's unusually deep. It's 35 to 40 guys. So if the Lakers decided to keep the pick, great. Have to trade back into the late first and or early second. Equally as great. It's like getting two chances on relatively the same tier of skill and talent of player. So those are all things I'm excited about for the upcoming draft. Um. It- do you think that you mentioned that there's a lot of guards, a lot of wings? Do you think that that is the best position that the Lakers should be looking to draft for? Like, I guess maybe like two threes, you know, some or one through three, something like that. So, I mean, I know from following you on Twitter, Mike, that you're you're a big believer in draft the best available player. There was a great stat somebody tweeted out that you amplified uh, at Canyon Driver on Wednesday about like, it's like something like three uh, is the average number of players who are on uh, uh, the same roster from three years ago across the league. So, you know, need changes incredibly quickly. The difference I think with the Lakers is the the, long-term, yes, like best available makes a lot of sense. Short-term, you are matching for a year or two, perhaps a draft pick to LeBron James, you know, especially, and then also Anthony Davis. So, in your mind, how does that um, that sort of equation between need and role fit with the Lakers specifically in this draft? 
So I try to focus on players that are more readily available so they're able to be productive within that first contract. Uh, one of the reasons why I was a fan of Austin Rees when he was picked up was because it wasn't just he was an older player. He was a physical player. He didn't get into foul trouble. He had a lot of different skills. And while during his rookie year, he was productive, I don't, I wouldn't consider him playoff ready necessarily. Maybe you could play him for a shift or two. And well, neither was of, the team, so it was fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? So, but with the with the upcoming draft and hopefully with health and getting back into the playoffs, I'm generally looking for a player that has that kind of level of readiness as well as, okay, I'm not expecting a, a really polished player from the bat, but can they play a shift or two in the playoffs and just even out the score with the rest of the lineup that they're playing alongside? Or even if it's just slightly negative, it'll work because eventually mm -hmm. the stars get put back in and maybe they play better along with the stars too. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of like off the top of my head, an example I was thinking of was like Jordan Farmar, his rookie year with the Lakers, where you know, he got pressed into that playoff starting position because Smush Parker had just fallen apart. And, you know, and this was not a team that was necessarily even thought about as a title contender, but you still want to try to do as well as you can in the playoffs. And basically you could, you know, you could put him in there and he did as well trying to stop Steve Nash as everybody did around that time, which is to say poorly. Um, but, but it, it wasn't Jordan Farmar specific poorly. It's just trying to stop Steve Nash is very difficult. Right. And just tying into what we talked about with last year's draft, I think I mentioned to you, David Roddy as a potential mm -hmm. Laker, right? And then he got picked up by Memphis. And for what he did as a rookie, I mean, he got his shift or two. He was spotting up behind the arc. He was providing energetic plate. That's kind of all you can ask. Christian Brown with the Nuggets this year. Exactly. There's You can see a direct link with high motor players that are able to limit their foul trouble and kind of pick their spots on both ends of the floor. So that's a point of emphasis, at least with what I think of in the draft in regards to the Lakers. And there's also, I mean, really, and this is something Andy and I have talked about the everyday or certainly recognize, like there's a real acute need for the Lakers too to make sure that every player on the roster, if possible, is playable because you are realistically looking at a scenario where you know, LeBron, you have to at least pencil in 25 missed games for LeBron. You have to put in 25 missed games for Anthony Davis and you know whether that's injury hopefully more rest than injury but you know and, and then beyond that like you want to limit their minutes you want to keep those guys as fresh as possible so at least in the regular season there's a premium like the Lakers 11th or 12th guy is going to need to play <laughs> and so yeah, if you want to play those guys mm -hmm. with um and and not risk falling deep into the into the Western Conference standings like they did this year, um, like it that kind of semi polished capable player is going to be really important. You think there are, there are those guys who are not necessarily high ceiling guys, but maybe high floor guys as a rookie that will be available in that seventeen ish range. There are definitely guys like that. I mean, two that come right off the bat are Keyson Wallace, which I hope falls from the lottery into the Lakers pick, and he's a nice two-way guard. And then another big that I could think of would be Trace Jackson Davis. Uh, I did mention earlier that I thought this was a wing draft, 
but the avenues to a productive wing getting immediate playoff time and not just being played off the floor is very difficult. Wings are so important in all the versatile things that they can do. We want them to sometimes defend guards, sometimes play big a little bit, hit, you know, rebound, and then hopefully they have at least a three-point shot. That's a lot of different things and a lot of different responsibilities for a wing. So sometimes it takes a little bit longer for that development. When it's Trace Jackson Davis, he's a more polished big that's been in Indiana and he developed passing skill and he's comfortable defending, you know, guys bigger than him and in team situations and he knows his role, right? Or Kaysan Wallace, he's a freshman out of Kentucky where he's comfortable playing at the top of the key, at the point of attack, hitting from three-point range, especially at the corners. He knows his role. Well, these are projectable things that I would anticipate, hey, if the Lakers had a shot at these guys, that would be great because we know what they can do and those kind of skills are projectable into the playoffs. Real quick, we're about to we're about to take a break, but really quick, um, when you're talking about players being available there, do you think there could still be players available that the Lakers could put on the floor throughout the season if they traded back from 17? Like say they were picking their highest was at 25. Do you think that still would be possible for them? There this season, this draft season has been so unpredictable in terms of draft position. It is very likely. I had mentioned Trace Jackson Davis. He's been mocked early to mid-second round. I have him as a relative mid to late first kind of pick because you know what skills you're getting. And he's known as the oh, projected low ceiling, high high floor player. But the same kinds of thoughts were talked about with Domantas Sabonis. And then look how he turned out for the Kings. So why not just kind of lean into that a little bit? You, you're mentioning some skills there that I want to get into. Like how you, how what kind of profile profiles to the type of player we're talking about a guy who may not have the highest floor but can come in and fill a specific role in a specific niche and keep himself on the floor i'd love for you to explain a little bit more about which skills translate in that way so we'll do that next Locked on Lakers is brought to you by BetterHelp and it's easy to get caught up in what everyone else needs from you and forget to take you know a minute for yourself what you need for yourself and it's hard to balance being there for your significant other for your children for extended family work but again taking that moment for yourself and it's easy to feel burned out stretched thin and unfortunately life does not come with the user manual so when it's not working for you it is normal to feel stuck and just seeking out answers for all these questions and i can personally speak to how much therapy has helped me during a really difficult period in my life for me and for my family and sitting down and talking with someone was up has connected over 3 million people with licensed therapists. It's convenient, accessible anywhere, hundred percent online. There's no waiting rooms. There's no traffic. Plus it's affordable. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a therapist. And if things aren't clicking, you can switch to a new therapist anytime easily. So if you want to live a more empowered life, Therapy can help get you there. Visit betterhelp.com slash locked on today to get 10% off your first month. Again, that's betterhelp, H E L P.com slash locked on. Okay, quick reminder as well that today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit fanduel.com slash locked on today to get started. Um, so if you go to uh, Mike Substack, you go to Lakers draft scouting and 
he's not the only guy who does this, but other people do. Some of the players that you point out, high you know, high volume scorers, guys who can attack the basket and things like that, but don't necessarily have a lot of other skills, not necessarily great passers, not necessarily great rebounders, whatever it might be. Um, you are in your writing skeptical of their ability to kind of get out and contribute right away because it's a difficult thing to come in as a rookie and be that sort of scoring player. What kinds of skills do translate quickly to the NBA? If you're a team like the Lakers drafting in the back half of the first round, who can, what kinds of players can you look at and say, that's something that we can use right away, even if the rest of the package needs time to catch up? So one of the themes I have with uh, the draft for this year is focusing on NBA level physicality, being able to compete physically because you're going to face bigger players at the next level. Um, and the ability to make reads on both ends of the floor, whether or not you are on the ball, right? So on the ball, yes, I, if there's an expected defensive coverage, this player is going to take this shot or he's going to make this pass. Is that translatable? Yes or no? Reading is always translatable at the NBA level. It's just the act, the corresponding action. Is it the correct one, right? So finding translatable skills isn't always easy, and there isn't often a stat correlated to it. I could look at, hey, this player doesn't get a lot of fouls per 40 minutes, and that might keep him on the floor, even though he's a good defensive player. Well, is that because he's actively playing defense every possession time, or is he kind of like selecting his spots? So when it comes to translatable skills, it's, uh, you know, a certain level of ball handling tied to the kind of reads they make, they make uh, on the offensive end. It's how they react defensively and are they optimi optimizing their physical tools in order to make that kind of impact. I mean, that's a very general way of putting it. Mm -hmm. I don't want to get into some long essay about it, but that's as simple as I could put it for now. All right, well, with that sort of broad look out of the way, let's get into some specifics when it comes to players. You, you mentioned Kaysan Wallace as somebody that you would be intrigued if he fell uh, within the Lakers' range at 17. Why is he somebody that you're looking for? He's bigger for a guard. He's like roughly 6'3 with a little bit longer arms, but unlike a lot of NBA draft guards right now, he's pretty well-built, and sometimes a a player is 200 pounds or 210 pounds, and they look like they can kind of be shoved. He holds his ground really well, and then he uses that physical tool at point of attack defense when he's fighting off of screens a little bit. Sometimes he gets pinched a little bit when he's off the ball and trying to fight through screens that way. But he uses his feet, his post base, his arms, and he's a smart defender. He keeps out of foul trouble, and he's impactful on that end. So that's just one side of the floor. On the other end, in the Lakers case, I don't think they're looking for a dominant playmaker. I mean, it would be great, but it just won't be available at the pick. But in Kaysan's case, he's he makes smart decisions. He doesn't play out of the context of his role. So he knows that, hey, if I have an open corner three-point shot and I'm going to just shoot roughly 40%, I should probably sit in the corner a little bit until my skills get even better developed and maybe I could take on more responsibility. But just with those two skills in hand, you know you have a two-way player with a specified defensive role, and, hey, I know he can make this shot. This is what he's best at. And maybe throughout the season, he'll uh, be more consistent at percentages at different quarters behind the arc. That would be great, too. Or maybe he gets a little bit better at pick and roll, like Austin Reeves did for the past year. That would be great, too. But at least you have those foundational skills to kind of build from, and that's important. 
We in our uh, locked on mock draft uh, selected Jet Howard uh, from Michigan. Uh, this was based, uh, as as people know, on other people's mock drafts and their descriptions of Jet Howard's skill set because Andy and I've never actually seen him play. But um, the basic uh, the basic rundown on the guy is very good shooter. Um, you know, smart player, good offensive player, spot up shooter, the type of player offensively who fits around LeBron. Um, the knock on him is you wonder whether or not he can play NBA level defense. Um, what is your opinion of Howard and how he would fit again with this idea that the Lakers could be looking for somebody who could play minutes next season? So the best thing about Jet Howard's game is not just is he a great spot-up shooter at all corners of the three-point line, but also he's able to make shots off the dribble. And if he's given a screen, he might run a secondary kind of pick-and-roll action and make a read into the dive man. But more importantly, he's a really good pull-up shooter as well. And that alone makes him a really good offensive threat. Pull-up shooting is a it's almost like an elixir skill on offense. If you can shoot off the dribble and be that secondary threat, not just a guy who will just take spot-up shots, but actually threaten off the dribble, it tends to go far. So that's why Jet Howard at um, you know, at roughly six seven, six eight plus with that kind of shooting ability is so important, especially at the Laker draft range. Can can he defend well enough, do you think? Do you think the tools are there if nothing yeah. else? Or to become a better I mean, another knock on him is that he is god awful at his size as a rebounder. So so one of the things I, I look at is uh can a player play to their size and physicality or play bigger than that. Jet Howard is a perimeter-oriented player. That's just kind of the place where he lives, and he's very comfortable at it. That's why he's such a great perimeter shooter. When it comes to kind of chasing screens or fighting against bigger guys or uh, you know defending smaller guards, it's, a, it's more of a challenge for sure. It does help that he does have that size, right? So there's a thing where in the NBA, you don't always have to defend point guard by point guard, two guard by two guard, small forward by small forward, etc. So if you're at least a bigger player, maybe you have him defend a tertiary position, maybe a corner shooter or something like that. And that way he's able to play on the floor and stay on for longer minutes while having the gravity on the three-point line and off the dribble will be every bit as important on the offensive end. When you look at someone like, Jed Howard or you know Chris Murray, the brother of Keegan Murray, who's going to be in the draft this year. How much do you think it matters for players to have, in one way or another, grown up around the NBA? Because, like you know, Jed Howard, for those unaware, is the son of Juwan Howard. So this has been his entire life as a professional basketball. Chris Murray, one would think, has been exposed in certain ways to the NBA what it's like, if nothing else, through Keegan Murray. You know, there are success stories with Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, down the line. Like, as far as an environment that might be, you know, predictive of anything like that. I always think it's helpful to have a player that's growing up in that NBA environment, whether it's the player's father, sometimes it's a cousin between, you know, McGrady and Vince Carter, or just going through other development programs, whether it's high school, AAU, college, whatever else it might be. It's the exposure to players that have been there professionally and they give you, they can give you advice on 
things you need to work on, how to develop, how to be more of a professional. Hey, this training might be better for in your case, whatever it might be. All of that is important, especially for players that are 18, 19, 20 years old. They're going to be specialists at one thing. And then the other end, it's not going to be always be like that because it's just too difficult to develop everything all at once. So you're trying to find guys that have a high enough floor that's well-rounded to play while having a special specialist thing to keep you on the floor and productive as an NBA player. So it's definitely important to have that within a developmental context. Um, we we want to not just look at the first round, but get into the second round where the Lakers have had a tremendous amount of success. I know you, Mike, in your scouting go deep into uh, both rounds um, and including even undrafted free agents. So some names that Mike wants you all to ca- uh, pay attention to, not just in the first round, but in the second round. And I want to ask you, too, why the Lakers do so well with their second round picks. So all that coming up next. Locked on Lakers is brought to you by FanDuel, and baseball season is in full swing, and there is no better place to get in on the action than FanDuel, America's number one sports book, because right now, new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000, a grand. That is $1,000 back in bonus bets. If your first bet doesn't win, just go to FanDuel.com slash locked on to join today, and don't miss out on the chance to snag a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 when you join FanDuel today. Just go to FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up. Again, FanDuel, the official partner of Major League Baseball, Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. So um, you don't have to exactly scour the internet to find examples of the Lakers finding talent in the second round. Um, they, uh, they have done a, or in among their undrafted free agents, um, you know, Austin Reeves is a, is the latest example of that. Why, why are they so effective? What do they do? What, what skill sets do they notice? What flaws are they willing to overlook that allow them to find guys who can actually play um, in these, you know, sort of, you know, but in places where other teams typically don't. Sometimes I think teams get caught up in upside or looking for that really great player that, hey, this guy's going to be a future starter or he's got an outside shot of being a future all-star. And those kinds of players aren't always available into the second round. You're just looking for a guy that can make an NBA team. Uh, That's kind of been a premise of the NBA draft for me in general. Can you find two guys that can make the team? That's going to be an automatic benefit regardless of skill and position. So I think in the Lakers case, they can look for the idea of upside as long as it's, you know, a motivated, high ethic work, you know, um, high character player behind them like Max Christie last year. I noticed improvements throughout the year, even if the regular season statistics from Michigan State didn't show, hey, that shot changed within three months and then it looked really good. And Maybe he's a little bit smaller, and maybe that's why he fell down to the second round. But he played up to his physicality because I saw him, you know, attacking the defensive glass. Or when he got isolated defensively, he was trying to be as physical as possible. You can't teach a player easily to be a physical defender. Sometimes they could be small, and they'll try really hard. Sometimes they're huge, and they're Shaq, right? But you can develop the body. 
like every every rookie eventually does. And then when you combine that with that physical mentality, that guy's a player, right? So when it comes to the second round, it's finding those guys that have those NBA translatable skills, as I mentioned with Kason Wallace or in my or uh, Trace Jackson Davis, or even just finding the high character guy that'll just develop into that kind of player that you are looking for that will eventually make the team. I think that's what the Lakers are, are looking for. We saw both extremes with Max Christie and Austin Reeves, and I think that says a lot about the scouting team in general because that's a wide range of player, right? When you're focusing on development versus this guy's relatively polished and he's a seasoned player, how soon can he contribute? Uh, that's why I'm really confident in the scouting team and finding uh, a player in the second round too. Yeah, um, when it comes to – I, I want to – I want to get to the second round in just a second, but there's a couple more names that have been linked to the Lakers that I just wanted to get your thoughts on just because I, I know that first round is where a lot of guys are, a lot of listeners and viewers are paying most attention to. Bryce Sensabaugh, I've seen come up in a few mock drafts with the Lakers. What do you like about him? What do you think might not work for the Lakers if there's anything? So Bryce Sensabaugh is a three-level scorer. So at the rim, mid-range, three-point range, all of the corners – you give him the ball, you give him three dribbles, he's going to create a shot that's comfortable for himself that he just makes at a high rate. He's really that level of shooter. Uh, what I'd like to see out of him would be kind of a better understanding of timing with team defense. I, I mentioned earlier about playing up to the physicality. He's roughly, what, a 6'6", 220, 230-pound player. And usually a player like that, you would expect to rebound a little bit, maybe be more impactful defensively. And... You know, he compensates with the shooting, but like we, like Jet Howard, he might have to defend a tertiary player on the off, on the defensive end. That's fine for now. So that's what I think of Bryce. I mean, he can really score the basketball. Um, that, that, I just said, but like that's what I was talking about in the first segment. Like that is a tougher role to come in where your primary on a really good team to come, which Lakers are hoping to be, to come in where your primary skill set is scoring. That to me is always something that makes me a little bit skeptical as to how how useful a player that that guy will be as a rookie. At least right. for me, that, that, yeah. I mean, that's where I look at. This is the player's best skill. What is the secondary skill that'll keep him on the floor when the best skill gets taken away? You could be the best shooter in the world, and the shot isn't always there every game. So, what's the next thing? So, when I look at players, it's that physicality, that ability ability to read on both ends of the floor. And, hey, maybe they can be impactful defensively. Maybe they can attack the rim in a certain way. Maybe they can create plays out of pick and roll. Any combination of those tertiary skills are always helpful to staying on the floor and being beneficial for the team. I think I, if I recall correctly, listening to you on a different show, you like Noah Clowney as a, as a possibility for the Lakers? Uh, I, I see him mocked in Early to mid-second round, he's not my first choice, but I definitely understand why he would be there in the mid to late first. What is it um, about that you like, don't like? So when I watch him offensively, I basically see two things. He is that spot-up shooter behind the arc. Great. He attacks the offensive glass. But in that sense, that's kind of the uh, skill set you want out of a modern big and not a modern wing or even a four. I mean, we have... The Lakers have, you know, offensively diverse fours. Even Rui, not just a catch-and-shoot jumper, he's a pull-up jumper, and he's a finisher at the cup. Great. Clowney, I would 
I would like to see either more of that three-point gravity and there's a certain way to bring about three-point volume to go along with that. But at least on the defensive end, he's impactful when he's switchable. He protects the rim. If you put him on a guard, he's still relatively comfortable defending that area. That's what will keep him on the floor and he stays out of foul trouble. So that's the kind of guy that, hey, maybe if the shot isn't going for him, he's a high-energy guy that will defend, that will keep him on the floor. So um, when you when you start to like break down who who might be available in the second round, you get down when you get down to forty seven. Um, there's there's been talk, uh, perhaps the Lakers trading down and getting an extra second round pick, whatever it might be. Um, are, who are just a couple names that you would love to see them be able to leave this draft with um, that are expected to be second rounders or even undrafted free agents? Um, Ricky Council four is a guy that I constantly see mocked mid to late second and in community mock drafts are part, I participate in, he's undrafted. And I don't wonder, I wonder why, because if this draft was two decades ago and we were looking at a six, five, six, six wing, that was really athletic and really good at attacking the basket. And he's able to get to the free throw line. That guy was a mid first to a lottery pick. Now draft opinions have changed with the time and, uh, skill sets have only gotten more diverse every year for every following draft. But in my mind, it's, hey, this guy gets, he has a free throw rate of 50%. He's really athletic. He's one of the top peer athletes who's able to attack off the dribble. And sure, the the jumper isn't great. He's 35%. All other two-point ranges outside of the rim and thirty, roughly 30 to 35% at three-point range. But that's a jump shot. To me, that's that's just getting shot reps in and then being a productive player down the line. Not every rookie is an impactful three-point shooter from the jump. And even Austin Reeves, at least, he had highly contested three-point shots. He shot 30% his last year. And now look at his three-point shooting now. So Ricky Council 4 is one of them. Uh, Trace Jackson Davis, late first, early second. I understand that he's a big and he's a little bit undersized, but I can trust him to stay out of foul trouble. He will rebound. He fights for defensive positioning he knows how to be a defensive playmaker and pick out his spots he finishes around the rim he just doesn't have range outside of 15 feet and for me that's kind of fine because he can compensate by being a high post passer and being a playmaker in that sense that's a lot of diverse skills to rely on that make me think like hey he's an immediate rotation player from the jump yeah espn has him in the mid 30s um, and he's the guy that you are sort of comparing to a sort of a Sabonis light type skill set of that, like really diverse, just does a lot of good things. Well, kind of like a front court version of Austin Reeves, if you, if you think about it that way. I, I mean, if that's the case, so be it. That'd be really productive <laughs> okay. within the first two years. But it works for me. <laughs> Beyond the just knowing the the players in this draft, you, you happen to know the Lakers as a team extremely well. You know what they're trying to do right now. You know how win-now mode they are in. Do you think it makes more sense for them? I mean, I, re I recognize the devil's in the details, but broadly speaking, do you think it makes more sense for them to use the 17 or use the 17 to try to get a first-round pick that they actually use or to try to package that pick with, I don't know, Malik Beasley, Mo Bamba, somebody else, and turn that pick into a rotation-ready NBA player? So the way I view the draft is it's a free shot 
at improving the roster's talent. So if picked or tied to players for a future trade to acquire that playoff rotation player, I'm all for it, especially with the current situation that the Lakers are in. We know that they're a playoff contender. We want them to compete with the same exact team, if not better, right? It's just, hey, some health, maybe some skills on at the wing or at guard, whatever else it might be. Anything is helpful. The Lakers need that. Great. If they want to package picks in order to move up higher into the first round, I'm curious who that player is. Maybe it is Kaysan because he leans into that idea of NBA-ready type two-way contributor, even if it's at guard. He's an impactful defender. He's an impactful shooter at the corners that'll draw gravity. To me, that is an NBA rotation player. So in either direction, it I it's roster improvement, and it'll that'll work out for me. I mean, especially as a fan, I just want to see the team play better and play healthy, and we all love to see them win. So that's what it all boils down to. There it is. I wanted you to let people know you are a Laker fan. I wanted you to go there so everybody <laughs> – listening and watching knows you are part of the family mike absolutely i mean i love the draft like i said it's a free shot to improve the roster but you know what you're improving the roster with other players that i've probably looked at in the draft during their draft year too all right last thing for you mike uh again if you have not been following mike at canyon driver uh following his his sub stack um you you really ought to be lakers draft scouting is the sub stack it is It is whatever time it is when the draft is over Thursday night. The Lakers have, let's say, kept their picks. They've made selections. What does the ideal Mike Garcia draft look like from you know first rounder, second rounder, and like an undrafted free agent? If you could just draw it up the way you want, who do they leave the, that night with? Okay. At 17, I'm picking C.D. Sissoko because he's a young two-way player who's a capable playmaker and a physical defender at wing. Uh, at 47, I'm picking R Ricky Council 4 for the mentions that we uh, mentioned earlier. He attacks the rim. He's a bigger guard. And he gets to the free throw line well, and he's able to finish at the rim. And then undrafted. Oh, man, there's so many guys. Uh, let me pick Alex Fudge out of LSU, who is a wing defensive player, incredibly high motor. He needs a lot of work on offense. but I've rarely seen defensive wings be such good playmakers in terms of not only forcing turnovers, pressuring ball handlers, but also defending the rim. And South Bay has a great history of turning Alex Caruso, David Nuaba, and Gary Payton, guys traditionally non-shooters but high-end defenders, into NBA players. I think he, that would be a great situation for him to develop in as well. I, I have to say, I, I went and I, I'd not really seen much of Sissoko until – uh, your Substack, the post that you have up, you know, general thoughts on on first round prospects, and uh, you have a video of Sissoko highlights. I was impressed. I mean, I grant it's a highlight reel. I mean, it, they don't put the bad plays on there, but oh my god, does this guy just look like an athlete? Moves well and like just forceful in how in how he plays. Um, so, but you don't have a you don't. Do you think he gets there? Do you think he drops all the way to seventeen? Uh, I mean, he's projected late first or early second for. Okay, good. You have him really high on your board. That's why I was asking. You have you have him really his, high. His shooting, was, his shooting was inconsistent midseason. He started off hot, then he went icy cold. And then in my mind, he's making plays that typical 18, 19 year old players don't make. So it's shooting that needs to kind of be rounded out. It's the over physicality in his case, 
where he gets into a little bit of foul trouble, he gets a little bit chippy sometimes, he's that level of competitor. That's kind of what I want to see out of a young player, especially one that wants to develop. And what really got me into him was, I think he was asked, asked a question about who he muddled his game after. And he said uh, he watched uh, Jimmy Butler highlights. He's exactly Jimmy Butler's kind of physical profile with height, weight, wingspan, all this other stuff. And Jimmy Butler was a 3 and D player before he became the, the shot creator that he is now. And I'm hoping that Fisoko kind of follows in line, assuming he's a Laker. And uh, he is, you know, to your point, mocked at 41 uh, by ESPN. So even somebody perhaps the Lakers could trade down in the late mid to late 20s and still get. So now I'm excited about this. And plus, it's a cool name. It's just, I mean, it'd be <laughs> fun to say City Sissoko for like the next decade or so. Um, all right, Mike Garcia, you know him uh, on Twitter, at Canyon Driver. He's, his Substack is a must-read as we all get ready for the draft on Thursday, Lakers Draft Scouting. Follow him, read his stuff, and uh, maybe we'll get you back after we uh, the Lakers have drafted everybody and we can figure out who, uh, whether they did a good job. <laughs> so Because you know better than us. I'd love to be back. That'd be great. Awesome, right. man. Thank you, Mike. Right. Appreciate it. Thank you for the time. All right, Locked on Lakers on YouTube is where you can go to see the show, hang out with a bunch of uh, like-minded basketball and Lakers fans, all of whom getting ready for Thursday's draft. We'll see everybody afterwards. Plenty of stuff uh, with the Locked on Network around the draft, live shows and all that. So uh, make sure you're paying attention. Follow us on Twitter. We will, we'll keep you up with everything. See everybody tomorrow.